What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ pre for UFC to uh, UFC Vegas 74. Almost said the wrong card there. If you would have seen what me and Pete were talking to about 30 seconds ago, you might have gotten some quality entertainment, Pete. Oh, absolutely. We're going to start swearing on this channel because the, these cards and these these uh, just DraftKings slates we have to break down, it, it gives you quite the headache. Look, look, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, as Ben folks like to say, we're doing some fights here, and that's clearly what we're doing here. We're doing some fights uh, in, in Apex here. Of course, this fight card's gone, gone through a ton of changes, Pete. By the way, for our listeners out there, we will have a DraftKings contest. I'll get that locked and loaded up here. This afternoon, I've been traveling the last uh, two days, so kind of hadn't had a chance to get around to it. Got a lot of work to catch up on. Uh, but uh, obviously, fight card gone through some changes. And, and Pete, I think before we get into the fight cards, I think we got to talk a little about game theory and being smart about the type of contest you're playing in because we both know when we get to the first fight of the night and we look and see what ownership are, Jim Miller and Jay Malarkey are going to be chalk, especially in cash. But I think when we're talking about you know big GPP fields, Pete, I think we got to be smart of how do we utilize that chalk. Yeah, I, I think you have, at, have to have at least one of them, right? And uh, the most chalky build is going to have both of them. I want to have both of them in a lot of my contests. The only issue is that build's going to lead lead you to holding hands with a, a a ton of other people. You know what I mean? So, but the issue is is that they are big favorites, or you know, they, they're notable names that we know. Malarkey, massive favorite, um, and I, I do think that it is a proper construction of getting to both of them, despite um, despite how chalky it can be. Like in a twenty max, I'm probably doing. 50% with both of them, despite how, how, uh, how much of the, you know, field is going to be doing the same. It's the broken price tags, right? So you have to get to at least one, but I would recommend dabbling on the other side because of the massive leverage that you will have on the field, right? Like, you know, 80, 90% of the field has fighters under the 6,000 mark, you know, their opponents are going lost in the shuffle. It's anything can happen in MMA, you know, the most volatile sport there is. So um, anything can happen. One shot, uh, an injury, you know, a DQ. We see a, a terrible decision from the judges. You need so many things to go right in an MMA fight. So I, I'm completely fine with getting to the other side in large field GPPs. Uh, no, no problem at all. Yeah, large field GPPs, I, I, I'm going to kind of be a little, I, you know, d- depending on how many entries you're putting in that large field GPP, um, it you know, goes into that factor. But yeah, I mean, look, both those guys are going to be extremely owned. But, you know, look, I, I think that as I looked up and down, you know, there are some interesting underdogs that do stick out to me. Um, you know, maybe I'll be on an island here. I like the upside of Daniel Pineda in the co-main event. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Johnny Munoz. So I talked to his cousin, Alan Munoz, that's uh, Al Martinez, excuse me, who's going to be on my, on my podcast on Sunday. Uh, he predicted that his cousin's going to go out there and get a second-round TKO. So just throwing that out to the universe. Interesting. So him and him and Johnny have been training together. for. You know, he had a fight last weekend. He got a win. Alan's going to be in the UFC within the next year. He, absolute rarity, Pete, on the regional scene. He actually wants to take his time getting to the UFC. I know we we don't see that very often, but he predicted that that one there. Uh, but like, also, do you trust an eighty six hundred at least read? We'll talk about that. Oh, I don't that's know. A hell no. I can't wait to talk about that. That's a hell no, and I hope people do because hey. I do not trust that. I saw a favorite. I saw mid eight k priced. I said I'm laughing to the bank over here because I, I'm just not doing it. At least read is a favorite. Get the hell out of here. Oh yeah, eighty eight hundred Maxine Grisham. I mean, like, I feel like if we put the do not trust list out this week, I think we, Elise Reed's definitely on that list. There's no doubt about it. Oh, Maxim Christian, long layoff. Oh, God. It's the first fight of the night. Mm-hmm. No me in that first fight of the night. We, we're not exactly best friends. No, not at all. And let me just tell you that, like, if it wasn't for our, our you know, community, Fight HQ community, the... Uh, the Discord channel that we have, all you guys contacting us. There's no shot in hell that I, I'm doing this show. I'm just saying. Like, I, I'm just not. Like, I I have a lot going on in my life. I know Jason's got a lot going on. I'm running on no sleep. The last thing I want to do is start talking about Elise Reed as a favorite and, like, breaking down this entire card. But we're here to do it, and this is the 
it might be the ugliest slate from a salary standpoint we've ever seen because we got two fighters in the 6k range that you know uh 7100 jim miller and uh it's it's just so weird right it's just so horrible yeah, I mean, it's one of those weeks where salary is not going to be an issue, if, if especially if you want a roster. Say, say you just go, hey, you know what? I'm starting with a combination of Jim Miller and Jamie Malarkey. Then you're going to get to whoever you want to get to. So this week's a week about being smart here. But, of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in here for Fight HQ. Of course, be sure to smash that thumbs up button. If you're not subscribed to the channel, be sure to subscribe. We're here. Uh, I think we're here for the next uh, 13 fr- uh, Fridays, Pete. Nice. <laughs> no, no break in the UFC schedule any, anytime soon here. And uh, we got a PFL show next week if everyone can stay clean and not, and not fail a drug test. I think they, they're up to now 10 fighters who've been removed from the season for a failed drug test. What the hell is going on? I feel like some days I wake up and the world is just like getting flipped on its axis. Like, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Between yeah, I know. But, but look, PFL, like everything, like, the another major promotion in talks of possibly you know what i mean like it's, it's that will the happen. UFC that will that will, that will right happen it will happen i don't see it. it's it's not going to be a merge with pfl ba- based on information i've heard i wish it would listen i've i've heard some things mm-hmm. i don't think it's i don't think you're going to see bellator get sold anytime soon but i at some point someone's going to offer viacom so much money that it's going to happen now. At, look, as a fight fan, would I would I love to see those two merge? But I'll tell you this: we did a draft on my podcast this week. It was a realization of how deeper the Bellator roster is than the PFL roster. Oh like, yeah! Like when you really look at it, it's like man, it, it's so much. But uh, but of course, we appreciate it, everyone here. We're going to get right into these fights. We're going to. I'm going to tell you, folks, we're going to kind of go through these fights pretty quickly because some of these fights are not exactly very fun here. But we do got a key matchup in the main event, Pete, of Kai Car France and Amir Albazi. This is a, a straight up pick and fight on the betting lines, minus one ten on each side over on DraftKings. A two hundred for Car France, eight thousand for Albazi. Fanduel nineteen dollars for Car France, eighteen dollars for Albazi. You know, I think we kind of know what to expect out of Car France, but this is a big step up in competition for Amir Albazi, Pete. Yeah, it's a big step up in competition. Um, you know, we have five rounds to work with in the flyweight division, so I, I really like this fight obviously because of the salary at 8208,000 Kaikara France looking to rebound off of the loss to uh, to Brandon Moreno uh, was doing fine in that contest but was ultimately TKO'd due to the body kick in the third round um now he's you know facing off against an up and comer who's a very talented grappler solid mixed martial arts everywhere in Amir Albazi but this is a step up of competition Kaikara France has fought more notable names more dangerous fighters. Amir Albazi has all the talent in the world. He just hasn't been in there against the toughest competition. Alessandro Costa, Francisco Figueredo, Jaga uh, Jumagulov, and Malcolm Gordon. You know, solid wins, but nothing remarkable. So uh, the the lean is definitely to Kaikara France. I think um, he's built for beating this type of style of fighter, and he's had a ton of experience in doing so. Uh, if it's on the feet, I favor him in a striking match against almost the entire division. Um, you know, I, I just think that his striking skills, despite getting TKO'd to the body, uh, I think that he's just very crisp. He has good volume. He has good speed, good power for the division, which isn't a, a division known for power. Um, if he keeps the fight on the feet, I think it's his to lose. Uh, Amir Albazi represents some interesting grappling upside. And uh, you know, I do think that is clearly the Achilles heel of Kaikara France, but I don't think it's bad. It's just like, if he does get taken down, he's not nearly the fighter as he is when he's standing up. And if you can look to submit him and possibly, you know, wrap up the neck, okay. I mean, that's anybody. But Amir Albazi is very, very talented on the mat. Before all the salary, you know, chaos ensued, I was actually pretty interested in stacking the fight, to be honest, Jason. And you know, I'm not a big stacker, but 8,200, 8,000, high-paced fight, high-paced division, five rounds to work with. I'm leaning Kaikara France, but I can definitely see this touching the later rounds and being a competitive fight. Uh, with the proper game plan, Albazi can bank a couple rounds. With the proper game plan, Kaikara France can coast to a decision. So I was interested in, in stacking it, but I don't really know how I can do so now with two fighters um, 
two super underdogs on the slate that are now favorites. Yeah, I will tell you this. Uh, looking over the prize picks angle, Albazi's takedown is at two. And kind of just to circle on what you were just saying there, if he smites, uh, fights a smart game plan, I kind of like that over two takedowns. Of, of If yeah. this thing goes you know, 25 minutes, I mean, the fight time on this fight is 20 minutes. So that kind of tells you there. And and I'll just say this. I'll, I'll put my prize picks plays in our Discord channel tomorrow. Our Discord channel, totally free to join. I will tell you, one of the things I've really kind of been going really big on is I've really gotten away from those five prop cards over on prize picks. I'm going to more of the two and the three ones just because of, I mean, we, especially in MMA, hitting five of five is, is very difficult on, oh, on yeah. these props. So, and, and I mean, I'm even really where I started kind of started the strategy was during the NBA playoffs. And I've had a ton of success on prize picks, just doing two and three, three cards. And of course you got to hit all, all sides of it. But I think if you are going to play on prize picks, like I'm in a state where I can't legally bet on a fight, prize picks is a way for me to go. So just kind of throwing it out there. Um, you know, I, I give the, the for me the leanest Car France in this one. It's just because of I don't I, I know what to expect out of Car France in these type yeah. of situations. I just don't know what to expect out of Albazi. But I mean, look, and you brought the great point here before the salary chaos happened this week. This is a fight they were looking at going, man, I probably won't get the both sides of the equation. Um, but a slight lean for me for Kai Car France. Now the co-main event is a matchup between Alex Caceres and Daniel Pineda. This is probably the fight that I'm most excited for just because I think this has a, a, a chance to be a fight of the night type of action. Uh, Caceres, 8900 on DK, 7300 for Pineda. Uh, Alex is $18 on FanDuel, $12 Pineda on FanDuel for him. Uh, Ciceras is a minus 180 betting favorite, plus 155 for Daniel Pineda. Pete, which thoughts? Yeah, I, I really like Alex Caceres here. I, I really do. Um, I, I think that in wins, Daniel Pineda scores well because he's a prolific finisher. Um, so when he is able to win, he scores really well, where a lot of times some people just squeak out decisions. He's not that guy. He finds finishes. Um, Alex Caceres has been a very, very hot fighter of late. If you have, if you, you know, date back to 2019, um, picked up decision wins over Steven Peterson and Chase Hooper. Chase Hooper looked really good last, you know, last weekend, two weekends ago, whatever it was. Um, a submission win over Austin Springer. Uh, decision over Kevin Kroom, submission over Sung Woo Choi, decision loss to uh, Sadiq Youssef, and the most recent head kick knockout against Julian Arosa. So, I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six and one in this past seven. He's been on, on such a heater, and this is a guy who's kind of grown up in the UFC. And I do think that, for the most part, he was a, a slick jiu-jitsu guy who had good karate style, uh, great distance management will point fight you from the outside. I actually think that there's some high finish upside here for, for Alex Caceres. Um, he can go to the body really well, and I feel like Daniel Pineda is pretty susceptible to the body. I'm seeing a body kick, a body knee. Um, if this does end up on the mat, I don't think that Caceres is going to be a fish out of water at all. He's a very, very good uh, submission grappler. It was only submitted against Crone Gracie. And then um, was also submitted against Jason Knight, who actually has a really good ground game. But I just feel like Caceres makes less mistakes. Pineda makes a ton of mistakes. Um, but he's aggressive. And sometimes aggressiveness wins out. I can understand why people want to get to a 7,300 fighter who's going to try to go out there and have a high round one upside or even just be a dog to the final minute. Um, but for me, it's Alex Caceres, and I actually think Alex Caceres is going to uh, to finish Daniel Pineda inside the distance. So after Pineda won his last fight, I had a chance to talk to him, and one of the things that he mentioned to me was that if he lost that fight, he was likely going to hang his gloves up. That was going to be in, got a new UFC contract out of it. To me, where, you know, obviously in the chaos of the salary this week before all that happened, Pineda was a guy I looked at and like, man, you know what? You, you know he's going to fight for your dollar. And, you, you know, and I do think there is a sneaky takedown upside here with him. Um, mm. the, the takedown prop on Ciceres on prize picks is a half. I hate those lines because he could just sneak his way into one takedown. Um, the one I will say that kind of does stick out to me a little bit 
is because of the toughness of Daniel Pineda, I think the over 40.5 significant strikes on Alex Caceres is kind of an interesting, is probably the prop on Caceres on prize picks that I like the most. I'm saying it's one of my favorite props of the week, but in terms of that they're on Caceres, but to me it's it's more of that looking at that upside and in these big GPPs where I want to get different, maybe instead of taking a Jim Miller, I'm going to take a Daniel Pineda just to get different from the field, but I do want to see what the uh, salary is going to play out. Speaking of Jim Miller, of course, he is now on opponent number three as he is now taking on Jesse Butler, supposed to take on uh, Luvenet Klein initially. Then it was Jared Gordon, which I didn't understand, Pete. It was like a month ago he got knocked out. I know. Which yeah. I'm like, UFC A, UFC A, what are you see? What are we doing here? B, commission, what are you doing? We saw the guy essentially get knocked out twice in a fight. Let's call mm-hmm. it what it is. Bobby Green knocked him out twice, one from a headbutt and one from a follow-up shot. So now you got Jesse Butler son up here. He's 6,600 on DK. He's a plus 210 betting underdog. $9 on Fandle. Jim Miller, 7,100 on DK. 21 on Fandle. He's a minus 275 betting favorite. Got to imagine that ownership is probably going to be north of 40% in terms of this one for, for Jim Miller. Kudos to Jim Miller because Jim Miller has everything to lose in this fight, Pete, and nothing to gain. 100%. I mean, the issue is that we're always needing to get paid. You know what I mean? You don't want half your <laughs> yeah. paycheck. That's the problem. You think Jim Miller wants to be a hero and go in the – no, man, he wants the other half of his money. So, like – um, yeah, and also you don't want your, your fight camp to go to waste. And there's a lot on the line, man. And a lot of times you're in a financial hole. So when you can, you know, uh, on a short notice, everything sounds like it's going to be Jim Miller. I think I got more interest in, uh, in Jesse Butler than I do Jamie Malarkey's opponent, to be honest. Um, and I know that Jesse Butler's stepping up on absolute short notice, 12 and four, don't really know much about the guy. I have to be honest. Other than he's out of Fury FC. Fury FC is not a bad uh, bad promotion at all. Um, he actually did just beat a friend of mine uh, in Luis Luna, who is one of my um, one of my roommates out in uh, New Mexico. Uh, I helped Luis train for multiple fights. Uh, Luis Luna is a, a banger. So he throws heat, and he's kind of like a John Lineker. So. For him to pick up a decision over Luis Luna, who um, is very dangerous, it, it goes to show me that Jesse Butler's okay with being in a firefight or avoiding a firefight by implementing some some uh, smart strategies. He is twelve and four. He is 72 inch reach, pretty big for the division. Five ten's a you know nothing crazy, but he's going to be a little bit longer than, than Jim Miller, who's five uh, eight with a seventy one inch reach. So I have more interest in. Jesse Butler than I do Jamie Malarkey's short notice replacement and Muhammad John and Naimov. Um, I just think like we've seen, yes, Jim Miller's got what the most wins in the UFC history or something like that. Um, I, I, I feel like, you know, he does have 17 losses that chin, you know, that he is susceptible. He's always been susceptible to the body, um, his cardio due to Lyme disease. Like there, there is a path for Jesse Butler to actually, go out there and perform well. Um, with all that being said, on paper, Jim Miller should win this fight all day long. You're the UFC vet, guy stepping up on short notice. I have picked against Jim Miller a ton of times. That's all I'm going to say. And then it was just like he he kind of like hit a new stride in his career. I mean, Eric Gonzalez, that overhand left. Nicholas Moda, dangerous up-and-comer. You thought that me, everybody did, thought that Moda would go out there and just be a little bit too dangerous. All I'm saying is that from a a build standpoint, I'm going to get the Butler a lot more than Naimov. And I actually might make a stand because this is going to be a chaotic, crappy slate to begin with. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just try to get different and, and go with Jesse Butler <clears throat> as a complete flyer. Shouldn't happen, but I just got a gut feeling that it does. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things if you're using something like a, a fancy cruncher, you're going to have to be very particular about your exposures. You know, whether we're talking about you're, you're putting in a 20 max lineup or, or a 150 max lineup or, you know, say you're just doing a crunch, you want to see what it spits out. You're going to have to choose your exposures because if not, cruncher's going to give you just a ton of Jim Miller and a ton of Jamie Malarkey, something to kind of think about here. Next up, we got another matchup that's also a replacement fight. Victor Altamirano stepping up here to take on Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott, a minus 170 betting fair, plus 145 for Altamirano. Elliott, 9000 on DK, $19 on Fandle. Altamirano is 7200 on DK, $12 on Fandle. Of course, we all know what the narrative uh, has been this week or the last two weeks with Tim Elliott because, you know, the MMA media loves a low-hanging fruit. God forbid we don't, I don't know, talk about the fact of, I don't know, hey, how about your longtime coach in the long year corner? Oh, you got a new training gym as well? How about, uh, Pete, can we talk about that as opposed to, hey, Tim, can we talk about, uh, you know, what's going on in your personal life? Yeah. Where, where's he out of now? Because I, I, I know that I, I, I missed that. It's um, out of a gym in Texas. Small gym in Texas? Yeah, small gym. Yikes. Um, so you, you hate to see it, right? Um, drama, personal life intertwined with, you know, a lead up to an MMA fight typically doesn't work well. It typically doesn't work well. You can use it as absolute motivation. I was siding with Mackenzie Dern because I had a gut feeling with it. And it actually looked like she was career best. Did her personal life lead to any of those improvements or that, um, you know, she just completely outperformed her norm? Was it because of all the motivations outside of fighting? It could have been. But I will tell you that there is a level of motivation and distraction. And I do think that as much as we feel for a guy in Tim Elliott, we don't know the story, like all the story. We don't know, you know, it's three sides to a story. We're hearing his but I will tell you that it seems like a painful story. And the painful story sometimes leads fighters to be emotional. He could literally get 50 points in round one because Victor Altamirano can get taken down. And when I saw um, when I saw him on the Contender Series and he's going in there and he's getting taken down, he's getting back to his feet and he's scrappy and everything, I'm saying to myself, all right, well, he's fighting. He's getting put in bad positions, but he's always – you know, biting down on a mouthpiece, humming shots, getting takedowns himself, pushing a pace. He's He can break you if you just want him to go away. He's like a mosquito, and he just won't leave you alone. Um, I will say that I have significant interest in Victor Altamirano as an underdog due to the volatility of Tim Elliott to begin with. There is tremendous ceiling and upside within Tim Elliott. I mean, he scored 150, 153, 132 throughout his throughout his career. He did just pick up a very nice victory over Tagir Ulanbekov, scoring three of nine takedowns, uh, defending eight, having 50 seconds of control time. But I will tell you that a guy in Victor Altamirano can actually make things super, super scrappy and is a solid submission threat. And that's the problem with Tim Elliott is he exhausts himself, especially if you're emotional, and then you put yourself in bad positions. I just don't trust the fight IQ of Tim Elliott. I have to be honest. So um, despite the volatility, man, I, I will pick Victor Altamirano at 7,200, I think. But I, I'm going to get to both sides of this fight. I can literally see a world where Tim Elliott scores 10-plus takedowns in route to a decision victory, and he looks – better than ever, but, um, you know, I'll let him prove me wrong. Mentioned a couple of comments we got here on this fight. First up from Sam, he says, with Elliot, I think it's recently biased because of Dern. He hasn't finished anyone really. He's a big decision fighter. Andrew saying, Elliot, better on the ground that those guys, though, I think he controls Altamirano here. I mean, look, that that the one, but the one thing is, if you listen to what Tim Elliott has said in terms of this fight, it is very evident this guy, he, he's flat out said he wants to go out there and win knockout. The smart game plan is to take Altamirano down. We've seen Altamirano get taken down throughout his MMA career. So, like, yeah. if he's fighting a smart game plan, that is. But it also feels like he's trying to get mic time and that he's going to be hunting for that highlight reel knockout. And that, to me, is a little concerning because we have if, if Altamirano survives a, a huge first-round flurry... That's what I'm is, saying. 
is that gas tank going to be there? So that to me is a little bit of concern there. There's a huge, obviously huge, if Tim Elliott fights the proper game plan, huge takedown upside in terms of this one. But like, it's just like, I'll give I'll give our, our listener a little insight. So probably about a, at least a month ago, maybe a little more than that. So I was supposed to have an interview with Gina Mazzani. And oh, then right. the PR rep goes, hey man, um, don't mention anything about Tim. I was like, okay. Now you know why. Yeah, I'm oh, just, yeah. I mean, and I'm saying this right now. If Tim Elliott doesn't get a win and gets cut here by the UFC, BKFC, you know what to do. You yeah, know what I, to do. I know. That's true. Oh, my God. Jesus. You just matchmaker you, from heaven over here. I could de- I could definitely see. I mean, UFC, sign Kroom to, sign Kroom to a one-fight deal after this. Let's just no, see. No, he's under, no BKFC has uh, Kroom under contract. Oh. He's, he's been fighting BKFC. Honestly, I didn't even know. I don't pay attention to Kevin Groom. But, uh, yeah, that definitely seems like a likely scenario. Oh, my God. You don't get, you, I, look, you don't have to be a smart promoter to realize. You might, and just make that the main event. Put that fight in Kansas City where they both are from. Oh, my God. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you, Victor Altamirano got taken down five times against Carlos Candelario. Car- Carlos is up here in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's... He's got really good hands. He has some solid jujitsu, but I don't view him as a takedown artist. You know what I mean? Like he can't get a takedown, but I don't view him as a five takedown per fight type of guy. When you when I see that against Victor Altamirano, I'm like, Tim Elliott will thrive in the wrestling mm. department. It's just he'll leave his neck out there. The the Brandon Royville fight kind of gives me nightmares where he was, you know, just doing just fine. And then next thing you know, he gets submitted. You know what I mean? So it's like you can't trust Tim Elliott. I wouldn't say that you can trust Victor Altamirano, but um, I, I think that you're going to need this fight. So I'm going to prioritize this fight. It's a high-paced fight. Sam goes where the BKFC, BKFC fight gets the girl. <laughs> oh, damn. That does sound like a typical. Yeah. Hey, we got a decent hey. amount of people checking us out, man, for this hey, horrible card. Hey, look, we appreciate it. As Gus Johnson says, these things happen in MMA. And for mm-hmm. people who have who've not been in the MMA um, business, these type of situations happen a lot in MMA. Oh, yeah. I, the, people like myself and Pete, yeah, we know these. We hear the stuff that I hear. Oh, like, man. I, there's times that, good Lord, I, I you know, I it's, there's just sometimes I hear things like, that can't be true. No. No, that did not happen. And then you get told like by four other people, like, yeah, that happened. It's a common occurrence in MMA. It really yeah. is. Uh, we got another 9,000 option come up here. We got uh, Kareen Silva, 9,300. She's a minus 225 betting favorite, $22 on FanDuel. She's taking on Caitlin Souza, who's a plus 185 betting underdog, 6,900 on DK, $10 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I mean, pretty self-explanatory. I like Kareen Silva a lot. Um, it's women's MMA. So you, you have to be careful with getting a little too bullish. Do I like the salary? No, not necessarily. 9,300. Um, I, I think that she is, she's pretty powerful for the division. She's big, but she's got some some good submission upside in a lot of her fights. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always tough when you have a UFC debutante coming in in women's MMA. You know what I mean? But I, I will say that, out of the fight film that I've seen, I think that Kareem Silva checks a little bit more boxes than uh, Caitlin Souza for me. Caitlin Souza is not a bad fighter at all. She's thirteen and three, um, and she's been doing fine in in Invicta back to back victories over Amaju uh, Sutama and Christina Williams. Both of those have mediocre res- uh, records, um, and she picked up two decisions. Whereas Kareem Silva has been finding finishes. Uh, Poliana Batelio, Darsh Choke, round one. Kihu Yan. 22 and three guillotine choke in round two on the contender series. And then back to back submissions in round one against CD Rocha and Simone de Silva. So for me, it's significant finish upside for Kareem Silva. Um, Caitlin Souza, could she win a decision? Sure. That seems to be her only path to victory here um, is just staying alive throughout each round, trying to do a little bit more than Kareem Silva. Perhaps Kareem uh, is a little labored in some of those. But I, I just think that when Kareem pushes the pedal to the metal, she's very, very difficult to stop for this division. 
Uh, she is 5'5", 67-inch reach, but she looks to to just have a leg up on a physicality standpoint from you know from most of the division. So, uh, yeah, give me Kareem Silva here. Do I love the price tag? No. Do I understand it? Yes. Um, but it's I'm going to be favoring the Kareem Silva side significantly as far as exposure goes. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, mean, I expect uh, so we'll be highly owned here. Then we got uh, another matchup that kind of came together here shortly. Uh, we got Zaleski Dos Santos take on Nermaga Madoff. Dos Santos a minus 105, minus 115 for Nermaga Madoff. Uh, they're both $15 on FanDuel and then over on DK. Dos Santos, 8300 Nermaga Madoff, 7900 The one concern that I think you, you – I do see the knockout upside of uh, Dos Santos here in this one, but he this is his first fight since coming off you side a suspension of 19 months it's a great point it is a great point and uh abubakar namaga madoff is a guy that really hasn't you know impressed me throughout his throughout his career and i think that's largely due to um a pfl loss to to pavel kush um but more importantly it's a triangle choke defeat to david zavada in round one so you know sometimes when you're in the UFC and you're, you're debuting in the UFC, there's a lot of pressure. And that's kind of what I saw in the debut for uh, uh, Abubakar Namagamadov was he's put in a bad spot. He's in a triangle choke and panic set in. You know what I mean? So you, you see the nerves get to people a lot. You see the pressure, you know, become a little too much at times. So granted, ever since that performance, I'm like, man, this guy just doesn't seem to be in it mentally. So I've been low on him. Uh, he's picked up back-to-back decision wins over Jared Gooden and impressively over Gaji or Magajiev. So there, he's doing something right. And you know that Habib Nurmagomedov's team, they, they have really developed into, they've always been a solid team, but I feel like mentally they've gotten better. And Habib has spent a ton of time just, you know, making everybody better mentally in the fight uh, where, where their fight IQ has, has increased in my opinion. So uh, it's got a good takedown upside against uh, Zaleski Dos Santos, but like Zaleski hits really damn hard. He's a good striker. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I like him here. Um, it's just, do I trust his takedown defense? It's kind of hard and the mm-hmm. odds are close. I really want to pick Zaleski Dos Santos, but the, uh, the time away from the cage is kind of pointing me into the other direction. So I, I'm going to be going to Bubakar Nurmagomedov to pick up a decision here. Um, I, I think that there is solid takedown upside, but a low floor as as far as like score-wise. So um, I, he just doesn't do – after takedowns, he doesn't do anything. So I, I can see like a 70, 80-point performance, uh, but like – you know, not a lot of ground and pound. He could be losing most of the exchanges on the feet, mm-hmm. and it just comes down to damage versus control. So I'm going to be getting to both sides, but I guess I guess I'll take a shot on uh, a Bubakar Nurmagomedov as an underdog. Yeah, I mean, I just I like the the potential knockout upside here, but I think you bring up a lot of great points about Nurmagomedov and great points about the IQ of, of that fight team. Next up, we got Daniel Santos taking on Johnny Munoz. Santos is a minus two twenty betting favorite. Johnny Munoz plus one eighty on DK ninety two hundred for Santos seven thousand for Munoz twenty and eleven over there on Fanduel. Um, you know, one of the questions Sam's had uh, was uh, he says DK question whether the odds people will have malarkey with Silva. And Santos in GPP. So, Sam, I think that's probably a, a high probability. But I did mention, I, I talked to Johnny Munoz's cousin, Alan Martinez, uh, an upcoming flyweight prospect. And uh, he, he told me he's a, he's in Vegas with Johnny, and uh, he, he believes a second-round TKO victory is coming for Johnny Munoz here. I don't see a TKO coming for him. I can see his path to getting takedowns. He's pretty physical. He's good as a, grap- uh, as a grappler. Um We've seen him knocked out against Tony Gravely in a stand-up affair. Tony Gravely, more of a wrestler with heavy hands. Um, Santos, Willie Cat Santos, I, I actually think he's just he's very good. And this is a guy who can actually come back from being down, you know, can overcome adversity. Uh, you saw that in the John Castaneda. I view Castaneda as a damn good fighter for the division. I really do. I think that he's talented in all areas. Um, he's good in jujitsu. He's a good wrestler. He's got good hands. He's just 
it, he's the epitome of what that division is. It's just a tough division. Um, and Willie Cat Santos has shown development in his career. Uh, yeah, debuting against Julio Arce, you're going to lose a decision. That's very, very difficult to overcome. But uh, rebounding in round two to pick up a, a, a TKO over John Castaneda, scoring 119 points, priced at 9,200. He's got to defend some takedowns. Um, you know, and he has defended three against uh, Castaneda and one against Julio Arce. I, I think he's just dangerous, though, from, from everywhere, from submission grappling to, to you know, TKOs. I think that he can hurt. Um, I think that he can hurt Johnny Munoz. I understand the high takedown upside, but I also don't trust the chin. I mean, that Johnny Munoz landed only two of 16 takedowns um, in his debut against Nate Maness. You already know my feelings on Nate Maness. That was in a loss. But, um, <laughs> God damn, I wish I was still 145 pounds or 35. I always thought he was a 45er, but I just don't like that dude. Um, I'm going to go with Daniel Santos here at 9,200. I, I think that he knocks out Johnny Munoz. Uh, but it's, I think it's a really good fight to target, to be honest. Yeah, we, we all know your opinions of Nate Mass. Anytime I see Nate Mass news, I just fucking got to text Pete just, just because. Just because. Yeah. Just, just to get fighters, you That's just like, God. All right, next up we got a heavyweight matchup. Dante Mays versus Andre Orlovsky. Orlovsky, a plus-115 betting underdog, minus-135 for Dante Mays. Mays, 8,500 on DK, 16 on FanDuel. Orlovsky, 7,700 on DK, $15 on FanDuel. And, I mean, look, if you're on the betting side of this, Pete, like, you just got to play. Orlovsky wins via split decision, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to – I'm not going to go super specific and go split decision. I get it, but I'm gonna just going to go decision because – I don't understand this line. Orlovsky, Dante Mays, they used to train together. And I know that's probably some time ago, but still, like, you know, they've had rounds at Jackson's. Like, that's been some time, but still, Orlovsky is the same guy. He's going to outpoint you from the feet. He There was a time where Augusta Wind could, could drop him and knock him out, but he's been able to roll with shots, um, you know, and just have better volume than this entire division leg kick you, counter you, defend some takedowns, but as long as you're not like crazy takedown artist, he's going to he's going to be just fine. So, I'm going to go with Andre Arlovsky here. Dante Mays, I got no love for you this week, buddy. I just don't. Even in like okay, he scored well one time and that was against Josh Parisian. That's it. Outside it of that. Six takedowns? Like, say again? I think he has six takedowns in that matchup. Um, so he got six takedowns. I just don't like, he's not a takedown guy. I know he landed six takedowns, but like, I don't know. I, I just don't, some people can just like clinch and people fall down. I don't, I don't see Arlovsky being that type of fish where he just flops to his back. You know what I mean? It's just, I think Arlovsky's just going to be too good everywhere and going to pick up a decision win. I mean, look, I just, in GPPs, I never like taking Andre Orlovsky just because you just kind of know because, Pete, the last time Andre Orlovsky won a fight via stoppage, you got to go back to, yes, 2015 versus Travis Brown. Think about that. I remember that fight. years ago. It just passed the eight-year anniversary of that fight. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. We were little. Me and Daniel were talking about my podcast this week. We started going down to that fight card. Arlovsky's one of the few from that fight card that's still active in MMA. That's crazy. Think about this. He made his debut in 1997. It's 2023. We yeah. wrote this guy off, what, 15 years ago? That's what I'm saying. That's why it's like if it was somebody else besides Dante Mays, like it's fine taking a shot on him. But, like, I mean – what is what does Arlovsky have to do to be a favorite? You know what I mean? Like against Dante Mays, I don't. Know. I just I'm call I, Arlovsky all day long. I just think the problem with with Arlovsky is he's always going to find himself in these close fights that could go his way in decision, could not go his way. I mean, I think if Dante Mays could utilize wrestling, I think that is his clear path to getting a victory here. But in terms of GPP, just this is just not a fight that I really want to get to. If I was going to get to it one side, I'd probably more like to get to Dante Mays' side just because it's been eight years since we've seen Orlovsky get a finish there. Uh, you mentioned about John Castaneda. He's also a Skype fight card. Another guy who's gone through a fight change here. He's a minus-135 
Betting favorite, 8400 on DK. 16 on Fando. Take on Gofaravu, 7800 on DK. $14 on Fando and a plus 115 betting underdog. Yeah, so tricky fight, right? Like Castaneda is a guy I really believe in as far as like skills are considered. I just, I also really like his opponent. I think that Gafarov's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I, I've watched, you know, some of his training. I've watched some of his fights. Like he really helped get, um, he really helped get Marab prepared for some of his most recent fights, cross training at Syndicate. I, I the guy's got skills in the wrestling and grappling department. His wrestling and grappling is just really really high level um and that's why whenever i see an underdog with significant skills in one grappling or wrestling department i'm going to get to him and i know that castaneda is a guy i really believe in um he has good submission skills he has good striking skills i just feel like he could be defending a little too much in this matchup Mm -hmm. and sometimes when you're on the back foot defending a lot you put yourself in a hole. You're unable to really dig yourself out of that hole. And uh, I'm actually going to go with Gafarov here. I just don't like – I don't like the short-notice nature, but I, I have been paying attention to his social media, and it seems like for months now he's been waiting for to get a, a short-notice call-up. The issue with that is peaking. He could have mm-hmm. peaked weeks ago, and he could just you know mismanage his weight cut or or anything, right? And he just goes in there and he's not 100%. This is an opportunity to get into the UFC. It is what it is, right? You're going to go out there. You're going to give it your best effort. His next fight, he's probably going to look like an absolute stud. He And he kind of reminds me of Sayed Yokob uh, Kakramanov from the takedown upside standpoint. Um, it's just a short notice nature, right? Like I, I can't tell you. I, I don't know how he's really going to go out there from a betting angle. I probably would just get away from the fight. Uh, but for DFS, I am 100% interested from a guy who has so much upside in the takedown department that he could win two rounds and do enough at 7,800. Hold on, hold on. Did I just hear something there? Did I just hear Pete Rogers Jr. is backing someone who's trained at Syndicate? (laughs) I know. That's a good point. No, I know. Trust me, my... I've seen him dabble there, so you know what I mean. Like, I don't, I don't consider him a syndicate guy. <laughs> but like, when you walk in the door and you train a couple times there, like, I mean, what's what's the what's the guy the the Monkey King guy the uh, Jordan something? Oh, um, Jordan Levitt. Levitt. Yeah, I mean, I backed him before, and he actually made me look good. It takes a lot for me to say. All right, you're at Syndicate. I'll I'll I'll, I'll well, let it slide. This this is the thing. When you're in Vegas, it's Correct. for the most part. And, and if your mindset is as a UFC fighter that hey, I'm doing a majority of my training in Vegas because of the UFC PI, which is a great reason to do it. You essentially have one or two gyms. There's some other smaller gyms, but it's either you go to Extreme Couture or you go to Syndicate. You go to Extreme Couture. You go to the PI, and then you talk to Eric Nixick at Extreme Couture. And you become friendly with him because he seems like a great guy and he's a fantastic coach. And that's where you train. I don't, I don't disagree. I don't <laughs> disagree. I'm just saying for UFC fighters who are in Vegas, for the most part, it's one or the other, unless you go to some of these smaller gyms that, um, you know, there's some good jujitsu gyms out there, whatnot, but, uh, to get the, the kind of training partners you need, you, you have to either go to extreme couture or you have to go to syndicate next up. Of course, we got the other chalk fight of the fight card. Jane Malarkey now taking on Muhammad Namayev. Namayev is a plus three sixty betting underdog minus four eighty for Malarkey. Malarkey is $23 on FanDuel, $8 for Namayev on his opponent. Then it's six, 700 and P it's going to be hard for one of these guys not to be in the optimal lineup. Yeah, it's damn near impossible. And, you know, I I really like Jamie Malarkey to be to be honest, just in general. Um, you know, I, I didn't like him against Gurun Kutataladze, uh, but he's just a gamer, right? Like he possesses such a um so much skill in every department. Very good striker. His hands look so great. He digs to the body, he throws vicious combinations. He gets hit a little too much for my liking, mm. um, but his wrestling is good. Like he'll go out there and chain wrestle, pick up, 
pick up very, very, you know, solid takedown numbers, good control time. I think he has nice finish upside as well. And this is a guy who is clearly going to break the slate if he wins 6,700. He doesn't have to do a lot. The way that he fights a fight, he goes out there, he wins, he breaks the slate. Um, you know, his opponent, Naimov, stepping up on short notice. What I could tell you about Naimov, um, you know, previously training at uh, Team Elevation. Strength of schedule, Jason, not good, in my opinion, not good. A past three fights, um, you know, Dylan Schultz, TKO'd him in round one, 34 seconds. He's a four and three opponent out of Tough Enough. Uh, a split decision on Tough Enough against a 10 and three fighter of Satik Mudayev, and then a arm triangle victory uh, over a five and six opponent in Andres Ponce at Titan FC. Before that, he's lost decisions to Olivia Murad and Colin Anglin. We know who Colin Anglin is, and he was on the contender series. They both fought on the contender series. So, you know, he's clearly good enough to get here. You know what I mean? From a he his his skills and everything got him to a contender series fight. I just don't think that he's at Jamie Malarkey's level. You know what I mean? Like he could maybe squeak out some victories over some super low level competition. But I feel like most contender series fighters are going to beat this guy. So uh, I'm clearly going to side with uh, Jamie Malarkey to pick up a victory of over uh, Muhammad John uh, Naimov. By the way, speaking of tight FC, they actually got a card going on right now over on UFC Fight Pass. Uh, Cowboy Oliveira's in the co-main event. Uh, also, right now? Well, yeah, right now. It's over, I want to say, Bolivia. Um, and then uh, Will Brooks, the former uh, Bellator hey. and UFC fighter, is in the main event. He's uh, Will Brooks has been campaigning campaigning a ton to get back to the ufc you know what's crazy is uh when i was down in uh, american top team for two weeks uh, about about two and two and a half weeks i was living at my uncle's house um will brooks was my main training partner and uh that's back when i had no wrestling skills no nothing and him and i had absolute wars in the gym and uh i remember my first day at american top team and like I, i'm just lacing up all that stuff we, we get out there we're sparring He's in championship fight camp. So I'm just I'm the new kid with the the Team USA kickboxing t-shirt out there. So they just threw me with him. Mm-hmm. And I did, I literally didn't even I wasn't even on the mats five minutes. Next thing I know, I'm in a fight for my life. And uh we ended up became you know becoming cool after it. I, I mean I had my nose was busted, my eyes were black, um, and I was like a twenty two year old kid, and then I showed up for the, the practice later in the day and the next day and, you know, for the next two and a half weeks. And he was my main training partner every day after that. So it was pretty cool. We hit it off. So I'm always rooting for Will Brooks. He's a, he's a cool person. And, uh, you know, we had some really good rounds and a lot better ones after that. Me and Will Brooks have a hit or miss relationship. Oh yeah. I could, I could see it though. I mean, he does it to himself too. You know what I mean? He does yeah. it to himself. So but. Yeah, he, 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 let's just say he didn't like a line of questioning during a press conference. Um, and that he he took it as a personal shot towards him, which it had nothing to do with him. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to believe there a term was Jason's a hater was um, a term oh. that was thrown out. Mm, I'm yeah, well, all good, bro, all good. Dude, fighters are sensitive sometimes. Look, and, look uh, in this business, if you don't got thick skin, you cannot last. Yeah, no, yeah, you have to develop it, and if you don't, man. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really tough yeah, you, career. You, you won't last in this industry. No, not at all. <laughs> well, next up, we got a female matchup. Elise Reed, a minus-135 betting favorite. She's A600 on DK, $60 on FanDuel. Taking on Jin Yu Frey, she's plus-115. 7600 on DK, $14 on FanDuel. I, should we just use the term here, Pete? Friends don't let friends put a $8,600 Elise Reed in their lineup. Y'all, you, you guys got to be careful right now. You're about to make me swear. Uh, what the hell is going on with this? And I'll tell you what, like, no shot. If I if I lose my money, I lose my money. But I don't care because I'm just not betting Elise Reed as a favorite. I'm just not. I don't think she's good. I think she'll hit you with a right hand and she'll throw some aggressive combinations. That is it. She is not meant for mixed martial arts. And this is a guy... I own my own gym, okay? I have a lot of high-level training partners that come through and all this and that. If you're in the UFC, you better be cross-training with some high-level training partners or at least traveling to go. I feel like she's like training herself. I don't think she's got any quality 
like notable names or high level training partners. I she's got a karate base. She throws a good right hand down the middle. Could that knock out Jin Frey, who's just coming off a knockout loss? Absolutely. You know what Jin Frey does? She's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt and she trains out of Fortis MMA. That's all I gotta say. That's literally all I have to say. Saif Saud is going to come up with a game plan. And when you just got knocked out, right? What's the number one thing that you're going to want to do as a coach? You're going to want them to get to their grappling roots or not even grappling roots, showcase their grappling in a safe win. And a safe win is going up there and attempting takedowns against Elise Reed, who is terrible on the mat and cannot defend takedowns. So, I mean, I understand the volatility of Jin Frey. We haven't even seen her in a good score in any wins. I think she finishes Elise Reed. I think Elise Reed's gr- uh, ground game is trash. And you guys know I, I speak with respect out of everybody. But I'm just calling it what it is. I think Elise Reed's ground game is horrible. Um, and I know Corey, she picked up a victory of Corey McKenna. I just think that Corey McKenna's okay with getting into a you know a back-and-forth boxing striking matchup, whereas Jin Frey, desperate for a win here, Saif Saoud's going to be screaming at her. I think she's going to pick up a submission victory. She is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brow belt. That's what I'm saying. 7,600. Jinyu Frey is going to come through. Uh, if Elise Reed wins, so be it. Burn my money. I don't care. I'm not betting on Elise Reed at 8,600 as a favorite. Yeah, and Frey went by submission anywhere from uh, 8 to 1 to 10 to 1. And, and just and, and here's what it tells you what the books think here. Over 1.5, minus 560. Over 2.5, minus 315. FICO's decision, minus 250. So that's always yeah. what the books think of this fight. That's how they see this one going. Next up, we got Lacera taking on Blackshear. Lacera is a minus one fifty betting favorite. Uh, Blackshear plus one twenty five. Uh, Lacera eighty seven hundred DK seventeen dollars on Fanduel. Blackshear seventy five hundred on DK thirteen dollars on Fanduel. Luan Lacera to me is one of the more interesting, interesting fires on this car from a GPP aspect. One hundred percent. I'm glad that you said that. Um, I don't get the Demon Blackshear love. Um, I, I think that he'll attempt takedowns. He'll get reversed. Uh, he does seem like he hits a cardio wall at times. He's an okay striker, but his best ways of winning fights is by just suffocating his opponents and and just putting a pace on them, getting takedowns, taking their back. I don't. What are you going to outgrapple Lacerda? I don't think so. Like that's not a game plan, and that's not a way to beat Luan Lacerda, in my opinion. Lacerda went the distance against Cody Stamen, scored 40, uh, 40 fantasy points in a loss, got a takedown, had a little bit of control time. Um, and I thought he looked fine on the feet. I thought he looked good for being a jiu-jitsu guy. I thought that he looked really good on the feet, super aggressive, walked Cody Stamen down at multiple points. I think that he – I mean, like I'm with you, Jason. Like my knee-jerk reaction, gut feeling – I feel like he finishes Damon uh, Blackshear here. Like, I, I just have that little feeling. And, you know, it could be due to exhaustion and Blackshear putting himself in a bad position. Uh, I, I know that he's coming off a loss to uh, Fari Basharat, uh, where he scored 42 in a loss, got a takedown, some control time. Um, he picks up reversals in a lot of his his fights. Two in his debut against uh, Yusuf Salal, one against uh, Fari Basharat. I just think Lacerda, if this hits the mat, he's just going to be a little too wise, a step ahead everywhere. Um, and on the feet, I could just see him dig into the body. I I, I don't know why. So 8,700, I'm with you, man. I, I really like him from like a contrarian. Doesn't really jump off the page. But for me, I just have some gut feeling about Lacerda. You know, like to me, like I'd rather spend the 8,700 for him as opposed to going to a 9,000 Tim Elliott, where Tim Elliott could smash a slight. He very well could. I'm just I'm concerned that Tim Elliott's going to be hunting for a knockout, and maybe we don't get that that fancy score upside with the takedowns that we potentially seen. Well, see, for me, I I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I see what you're saying from a volatility standpoint. You want to avoid the vol- volatility. I would probably say like, okay, this is probably easier than the because you you can't eliminate exposure to Tim Elliott due to the ceiling. But like, eighty five hundred Dante Mays or. 8,700 Luan oh, Lacerda. It, it's, it's no question Lacerda for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> 10 out of 10 lineups. Or 8,600 Elise Reed. Like, for me, I'm just going to take a shot on Lacerda, in, in my opinion. 
if you if you said you'd rather have an A six hundred least read over an A seven hundred Lamar Sarah, I go, bro, what are you smoking? Let me know what it is because I need to know what that is. Yeah, I mean that straight right hand down the middle that Elise Reed has is nice. I just think like, yeah, at some point you got to buy into fight camps and you got to buy into mm-hmm. teams. And I'm buying into Team Fortis MMA right now, dude. And I love, I love listening to Safe Side of His Corner Same. because I, I'm the type of I want that coach that's all up in your grill, and that is oh, Safe yeah. Side. I mean, yeah. and he don't hold anything back. Yeah, no, we'd hit it off. We would definitely hit it off because he's going to tell you what you need to hear, not what mm-hmm. you want to hear, and that's exactly what you want. And our opening fight tonight, you got Maxim Grisham taking on Philippe Leans. Maxim Grisham, minus 130 betting favorite, plus 110 for Philippe Leans. 800 for Grisham on DK, 7,400 for Leans, and then it's 17 and $13 respectively. Pete, I don't know how you trust either one of these guys. I agree with you. Um, I, I think – we're at a point now where we're seeing Philippe Lynn starting to showcase what he was supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like in the UFC, like the signing, I thought that, wow, this guy's going to be good. Uh, but after you got the bag and, and you come over to the UFC, sometimes, you know, just some weird shit happens. And Tanner Bozer knocking him out definitely was very weird. As a decision guy who all of a sudden found a couple fights with power. It was just weird things happening. And Philippe Lynn's, is super volatile from a chin standpoint, uh, has good volume, has good speed, has takedowns and jujitsu in his back pocket if he needs to. We have seen him showcase that previously against uh, Marcin Pracnio. I think that Philippe Leans, if he's smart, will blend everything. Just striking against Maxim Grishin, who hits really hard despite being a low-volume fighter, I just don't think it's a smart thing to do. Blending everything, putting volume on him, um, you know, looking to to tie up with Maxim Grishin, who, in my opinion, has a weaker gas tank than Philippe Leans. I still don't think either one of them have a a um, a significant. I mean, like, uh, how can I say this? I don't think that either one of them are super active, but I feel like Philippe Leans is going to be a little bit better in the cardio department than Maxim Grishin. I mean, we did see Philippe Leans put a four out of eleven takedown work rate against uh, Marcin Pracnio. Pracnio, not nearly as physical as uh, Maxim Grishin, but I just like having that little curveball in your back pocket. And uh, Maxim Grishin, outside of landing a right hand, he's been fighting a lot of injuries and pullouts and all that stuff. And, you know, I I saw some training footage of him, and it was kind of weird because, like, he's getting out grappled in, in his training footage. And then, like, He's sparring with MMA gloves on, and then he's getting hit into the body, and he's grunting and all that stuff. And it's like, I could see a, a liver shot to uh, Philippe Lanes leading to uh, le- leading to the end. So uh, give me Philippe Lanes to win a decision here, uh, seventy four hundred. I think it's a close fight, but uh, outside of a a big right hand for Maxim Grishin, I think the better minute winner is clearly Philippe Lanes. Yeah, I mean, look, it's just a fight that I just do not want to get to. Now let's get to our straight-up fight picks here. These are non-betting slash DFS related. Main event, uh, I'll go with uh, Car France. Yeah, Car France for me. Uh, then uh, co-main event. Going with my guy, Daniel Panadia. Oh, shoot. I'm going Caceres. Jim Miller. I'm just going to be reckless with that one because it just seems like what should happen isn't going to happen. I'm just going to say this guy, Jesse Butler, picks up a win he shouldn't. Don't feel great about picking Tim Elliott, but I'm going to pick Tim Elliott. Yeah, Alta Murano for me. Uh, I'll go Kareem Silva. Kareem Silva. Give me an, uh, give me Namaga Madoff. Yeah, give me Namaga Madoff. Another homer pick here, just because guy's been a, been a friend of the show, Johnny Munoz. Oh, God. Daniel Santos for me. Oh, God. Oh. Arlovsky. Don't feel good about it. Arlovsky. Uh, I'm going to go follow my guy, John Castaneda. Gafarov. Uh, Malarkey. Malarkey. Frey. Frey. Lacerda. Lacerda. I'm going to go Leans. Christian's been on the sidelines for a little too long for my liking. Yeah, I'm going Leans as well. Uh, let me just hop in some Discord questions, and we'll get out of here for this episode. Uh, Tristan says, rank the 9K 
options, and who do you think has the most takedown upside? And I mean, look, takedown upside. If he fights a smart game plan, I oh, think yeah. it's got to be Tim Elliott, who's got the most upside as a nine K option. I mean, your only nine K options this week are Tim Elliott, Kareen Silva, Daniel Santos. Yeah, I mean, like Kareen Silva, the likelihood of getting of her getting a takedown is high, but. Yeah. I think she might may just need one. You know what I'm saying? Her, her submission skills are super are super like up there. Whereas Tim Elliott's probably going to get more takedowns. So takedown upside, Tim Elliott. Uh Sam, uh he's got his usual questions. By the way, his over under is four and a half. Over. What do you yeah, doing? I would smash the over on there. Uh Sam. top two cash. Look, we all know the easy answer on that one. Jim Miller and Jay Malarkey, but that's going to be and but look. In a cash game contest, I think it's hard to avoid that combination. Yeah, I mean, it has to be, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, G, like, top two at GPPs. Least, at least malarkey. Yeah, the top two GPPs, I think, is it, it, I would not put those two guys in my top two options for GPP just because looking at some other options there, um, you know, I, I look, Lacerda is one of those options I look at, the takedown upside. Um and I think you got to look at one or two, one of the two guys in the co-main event. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I I think that there's some sneaky fights to target. That's... Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, he has to have a highest leverage plays by salary versus ownership. We're gonna see where ownership kind of goes with all these changes, uh, because I mean, look, we're gonna see some high ones. But like, if I'm looking at, uh, you know, some of the ownership I'm looking at before, kind of all these changes kind of take place. Um. Nurmaga Madoff is an interesting one if he's able to rack up some points with some takedowns. Yeah, he's a, a tricky, tricky one. Um, that fight's just a head scratcher for me. You know what I mean? Like it's, I've, I'm feeling some Jinyu Frey love this week. I just yeah. am, and I can't believe I'm saying that. But it's I mean, women's MMA against a, a favorite that I have zero faith in. I mean, look, I, I would consider Jinyu Frey a dart throw because of ownership because she's just not getting any. Um, but, like, I think if you're looking up for a dart play, I think you're looking at either Butler or Namoff as a dart. Oh, yeah. Well, 100%. As a dart, it's got to be Jesse Butler for me. I mean, I'm kind of right now watching some some videos on Jesse Butler to begin with. And at some point, youth does start to mm-hmm. – you know, creep in and, and have an edge against a veteran. You know what I yeah. mean? At some point, is Jim Miller at that point? I I'm I'm gonna do it, man. And if I lose my money this week, I don't care because I'm already expecting yeah. a loss this week. Of just how horrible it is. And if you go the typical chalky route, you're probably losing money anyways. If you put a 150 lineups out there, so 150 dollars, you're gonna be holding hands with a lot of people. You could actually not profit you know what i'm saying so I, i'm gonna just get super different and jesse butler is gonna be that dart throw i'm gonna get aggressive on yeah it just salary wise allows you to do so much uh the last question we'll leave with us is the value plays underneath 8k over on DraftKings. uh just kind of going down the list uh pineda's got the definitely finishing upside at, at 7300 miller butler i think both are both great value options underneath there um altamorano's kind of an interesting one at yes. 7200 um especially if he you know maybe able to survive an early storm of tim elliott looking for a knockout and maybe a, a third round type finish for altamorano really leads to a, a good score for him um other ones gaffroff you, you made some great points of him um at, at 7800 um Genuine phrase seventy six hundred. Don't really. I just don't love the fancy score upside there. Um, yeah, those would be the ones that would stick out to me. Let me ask you one question. Final question. Yeah, because yeah, I'm kind of struggling with it, with how the salary standpoint is. It. Do you think the main event's necessary? Given the salary, given the rounds. No, I don't really. I just think you need a lot of volume. I mean, like I feel like. If you told me one or the other is going to be optimal in the victory, I feel like it's probably more likely that it's Albazi because of the takedown upside. Wow. I just think the salary makes it so damn hard. Like, imagine no, if it goes look, five it, rounds, it, it, you're screwed. But the problem is, is like this week is one of those weeks where it just doesn't – salary's just not going to be an issue for the most part. Now, I will tell you, when, when I start going into cruncher and developing lineups, one thing I will do – is I'm just going to uncheck Miller and Malarkey. I just want to see what it gives me 
Not saying I'm running though. I, it's it's more of a lot of times. Sometimes I do crunches. I just want to see what it spits out. Yeah. So maybe so, not having either one of those guys in a lineup, or having not having both those guys in a lineup, I'm interested to see what it does spit out. Because I think that's the interesting thing about tomorrow. Is the optimal two thousand or more left on the table, or is the optimal under a thousand? Oh, it's got to be. I, I'm probably going to leave more than a thousand. I just am. Like this is a week where underdogs are alive. I, I, I don't even think I got to tell Cruncher. Like, I mean, I might just tell Cruncher at the most spin forty nine two. Oh, uh, at the most forty nine two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd probably say I'd probably go spin anywhere from forty seven. Yeah, forty seven was kind of number that was in my head to forty nine two because I just I don't see you spending all fifty thousand dollars. That that's going to lead to you creating an optimal. I'm, I'm, look, maybe I'm wrong. I just feel like that's just not going to lead to to building an optimal lineup. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Going to be a weird slate. I, I'm probably going to just try to be as super aggressive in a twenty max because I just don't want to put 150 lineups out there. We'll see. I probably you it's, know it's a, it's I, a tough you know me. I end up week. I end up doing it. So we'll see. Yeah, but uh, of course, as always, appreciate everyone tuning in. Of course, we'll be in Discord tomorrow. I will put my Prize Picks cards in there so you guys see what I'm playing over there on Prize Picks. Of course, you ever got a question for me and Pete? Uh, hop in that score, totally free to join. Uh, we'll have a DraftKings contest up here. I'll get that up here in the next hour or so. I will put that link uh, right here on the YouTube video, also on the podcast channels as well. So we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of Fight HQ. We'll be back next week to preview whatever Fight Night. Oh, no, it's pay review next week. <laughs> Dude, I'm with you, man. Uh, but hey, thank you guys. Hey, I'm for just saying, that. next week, Dan Ige, Nate Landwehr. Violence written all over that sucker. Oh, I love that fight. Yeah. yeah. And guys, thank you so much for checking us out. Horrible card, horrible circumstances, but we're trying to make you some money despite having headaches. Um, I, I will tell you that we appreciate you. Join the Discord, please. It's in the in our bio. Hit that like button for us. Get us over 100 likes for this video. Get us over 1,000 subscribers. We really need that help from you guys and appreciate you each and every week. And, uh, yeah, good luck to you. And that's going to do it for this episode of Fight HQ. We will talk to you next week as we'll get you ready for the UFC pay-per-view headlined, or I should say I should say scheduled to be headlined by right. Mid Nunez and Arena Aldana.